Hello, and welcome to The Potential State. I'm Dr. Assel Romanelli, and today we are going to talk about systematic change, or in other words, how to manifest change in a world where I am living in a larger system, be it a marriage, a family, organization, a team, a society, a culture. So um, I'm going to start basing this with some theory from this book called Change by Wartzlick Fish and Weakland, an amazing book. It was written actually 50 years ago, and it talks about systems and how do we change. These are people, therapists and thinkers that came to MRI in Palo Alto, and they kind of try to analyze how are problems created and how do people, um, how do people try to fix those problems unsuccessfully. So in the basis of systematic thinking is humans are ha- creatures of change, of habit. We do not like change, and we're always aiming for homeostasis, like any creature, like any organism, okay? Homeostasis, and that system protects everybody because everybody knows their role. Everybody knows exactly what to do, and the, and, the, and the organism or the team or the family or the organization works smoothly. Everybody has a role to play, and every role um, – helps the other, shapes and recasts the other role. So next to every leader, there needs to be a follower. Next to every bum, there needs to be an overcompensating uh, workaholic, right? We need all those roles together, whether it's a family and system, as we said. So how do we change that? Assuming we're in a bad place, assuming the role I have or the function I'm doing is bad, how do we change? So they bring a very interesting categorization of two types of change, first-order change and second-order change. First-order change is common-sense, natural solutions we try to do to problems, which is usually a behavioral shift, okay? My partner's yelling too much. I'm going to tell him to calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down, okay? The thing with first-order change, it's usually, it's usually a behavioral change, and it usually it's more or less of the same. Well, it doesn't really change the dynamic or the deep roles in the system. It just kind of maintains the homeostasis with like a different spin. So for instance, if I'm taking too much space in my team, so I decide I'm going to wait till three different people speak and then I'm going to speak. Okay, so I'm still taking too much space. I'm just doing a first order change. I'm kind of reining it back. But that is not deep systematic change. Or if you want another metaphor for it, we are all, when we think about family, okay, family therapy, family systems therapy, we think about everyone holding hands and dancing, like a big Israeli dancing, like a circle dancing, okay? And one move that I do forces the other one to do that move and that move and that move. So in first order change, we're not changing the dance. I'm just, instead of clapping here, I'm clapping there. And that's what we usually do, and that usually doesn't give us any results. It's just more of the same. It's those problems that we've been trying for years to fix, and we just can't managed them. The second type is called second order change. Second order change is, it's a conceptual shift. It's a change. I'm changing the whole system. I'm resigning from my role. I'm unbalancing the whole system. It's usually an irrational move almost because it's not the logical do more or do less of that. And kind of, it's like a quantum leap to a different dance. It's like letting go of my hands and going in a different direction, refusing to do that same role I've done traditionally. And the thing with second-order change is that it always, always brings around ruptures. 
people do not like second order changes because if you do a second order change, that means you're forcing change on other people. If we all have our roles, okay, if I'm the overachiever and there's an underachiever next to me, so if the underachiever changes, a real change, a second order change, okay, then he's going to force me out of my role. And I, I am a creature of habit. I don't want to change, so I'm going to push back. So in fact, even when people are saying to you, change, 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 with their mouth, their feet, or their bodies are actually saying stay. Because if you really do a second order change, I'm going to have to change. And therefore, a lot of times what happens is when you're doing first order change, you get applause and people say, good for you, but nothing really changes. When you do a second order change, I'm going to repeat this again later so you'll remember this, there are no applause for second order change. Even the people that say, please change that habit, stop doing that, if you really do a second order change, which means not just that habit, but changing that whole role, the whole perception, your whole assumptions about the system, you're not going to get applause. So I think a lot of times people come in and whether it's the clinic or workshop or counseling or coaching and they want change. I want change. I want change. And a lot of times we need to find out what type of change they're looking for. Are they looking for first order change, which means more or less of the the same, um, lowering the symptoms, improving a little bit, more or less the same things that they've been doing, or they're looking for second order change. And it's been my experience that people naturally do second order changes um, based on one or one of two scenarios, either external reality forces them to change, um, divorce, disease, natural consequences, um, losing a parent, earthquake, natural disasters, any of those. Sometimes, not always, will lead people to second order changes to re-examine their life and go on a different journey, or a very deep decision that I'm not continuing like this anymore. So. Most of the people I meet are somewhere in the middle. They're not here and they're not there. They're kind of looking, they're feeling like what's happening right now is not good for them, but they don't know how to change that. And here I want to infuse this first and second order change with another concept called secondary gains and secondary losses. And this comes from Mary Jo Barrett's book, Treating Complex Trauma, which is an excellent book as well, by the way. And she talks about... um, when she talks about the homeostasis, she's saying there's, there's always gains and losses from anything I do, okay? And any change I will make, a second order change, there will be gains and losses. So, for instance, uh, if someone is extremely overweight, okay, if he or she's overweight, okay, so if she does lose that weight, so obviously she will be gaining or he will be gaining, uh, he'll be more attractive, he'll have more of a social life, health, but there will also be secondary losses, needing to deal with intimacy, with sexuality, not be able to eat everything they want. So in every single change, there's always something you gain and something you lose. And the example I give a lot of times is we want to change, so we're putting, we're pushing our foot on the gas. Yes, yes, because I hate the situation. I have so many losses. But at the same time, I have a foot on the brakes. And that foot on the brakes is usually what I'm gaining from this current homeostasis, what I'm gaining from my current role. And that's usually my blind spot. And that's why people keep wanting to do that diet, keep wanting to ask for the raise, keep wanting to run, train for the marathon, whatever, but they don't do it because there's a secondary gain here that they're not accessing. And a lot of times what we need to do is we just need to look at both of those gains and losses and compare them and to see, do I have more gains right now than losses? And if I have more gains, then I'm not going to do that change right now. It's not ecological for me. It's not, it's not the right move for me right now because right now I have more gains and losses. If I have more losses, then we can start talking. And I want to give um, two examples of this 
to maybe have bring it a little bit more into the muscle, one from the clinic and one from the theater world, actually. So um, a while back, I was working with a couple and they kind of found this dynamic of he's like the CEO, the frustrated CEO that's in charge of everything and all the burdens of the financial burdens of the family are on him, but he's always cranky and upset. And his wife was kind of this innocent little girl, innocent and sweet. And, and we don't understand why he's treating her so bad and she doesn't understand and she feels like a victim and she's trapped and lost. And, and that was how she came. That was the homeostasis that they came with. And when we started working on gains and losses, we tried to explore that. So she was very clear what she's losing. She was losing the fact that her secondary losses were that she was not appreciated, that she was not seen, that she was kind of invisible, that her voice didn't really matter, that her husband made unilateral decisions. And she was very connected to the losses. But when I asked her, what are you gaining from this situation? It was really hard for her to answer. And this, I'm already used to this. So usually there's like the first answer is nothing. I'm not getting anything. And then when we, we linger a little bit more um, and we start thinking, okay, there are some sort of gains. So in her case, it was innocence and freedom. She could stay a little uh, Peter Pan. Doesn't, she doesn't need to grow up. She doesn't really need to realize, take responsibility. Now, if you're a little girl that's lost and he's the big bad wolf, so it's his fault. So I'm immune to criticism or critique. And the fact that I'm not fulfilling myself is not my fault. I want to, but the big bad wolf is holding me back. And when we actually wrote those on the board, it, she suddenly she, she looked at that and so did her husband, but I'm, I'm focusing more on her. And she realized that actually for many, many years, this role served her. And she started to think out loud is like, is she ready to let go of that? Because if she really does a second order change, if she does it, not her husband, if she grows up from that the little lost girl, the Red Riding Hood, then she's going to have to make major changes in her life. She'll have no more excuses. She'll actually have to face the world and see, does she have what it takes? And she'll have to stop hiding behind her husband. And because of him, she's not manifesting herself as an artist, as a mother, as a wife, as a woman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one example of a woman who wanted to come for change, but she her blind spot of the secondary gains that she has from the current situation was preventing her from doing an efficient second order change. It's needless to say that throughout the year, she's tried first order change, which is usually telling her husband to listen to her more, respect her more, or say to herself, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. But if you think about that, she's tried that for 15 years. That wasn't working because that was the first order change. And once again, First order change, you're not forcing any change on anyone else. So how can she possibly grow up to out of the Red Riding Hood if her husband's still the big bad wolf? So that's one example from the clinic. And I want to give example from the arts world. So I once knew two uh, artists that had their own company, their own theater company. They were amazing and brilliant and smart and super creative. And they've been basically running this company for years. And they were exhausted and they were tired and they were sometimes in debt. And even though the business was going well, something there was not balanced. And when I started talking to them, I started thinking they were complaining about it, complaining about it. But then I stopped them and I said, let's look what you're gaining, what you're losing right now. And the losses were very clear to them. No financial security, no vision, no long-term planning. Everything's on them. It's really hard for them to find quality workers. 
because no one gets it like them. And then we were looking at their secondary gains and their secondary gains were being the founders, being the, the heart of this organization, having independence, no limits, no structure, no thing to hold them down, endless possibilities and ego. It was their baby. And when I pushed back and I said, well, do you want this to die when the day you guys retire? It was hard for them to answer. And I think looking back at that conversation, they didn't realize how powerful the gains were for them. And until they, until they don't address those gains, it would be very hard for them to, to actually shift, to actually let go and let someone else manage the organization so they can keep creating. So here's another example of a, there's like a wish for second order change, but there's a fear of that too. And usually if you don't explore those fears or those secondary gains from what's currently happening, it's going to be very hard slash impossible to create that second order change. Unless again, reality forces you to through an unexpected external event that will push you out of the role that the system will not be able to be in balance anymore. So if I come back to this idea of no applause for second order change, so I'm inviting you now to think about something you'd want to change in your life, whether it's a role or a pattern or a set of behaviors. I'm going to also write this down later in the comments. So choose something that you want to change and find a, a kind of a raunchy, blunt title to it. Find a title that also has like a little spunk in it so it will actually stay with you. Instead of saying I'm a perfectionist, right? Say, which also has like kind of a positive thing. Say, I'm a martyr. That's what I take. Or I'm a little red riding hood. Or I'm where's Waldo? All right. Or I'm left brain heavy guy. Or whatever you want. And then map out for yourself, what are the secondary gains and losses? What are you gaining from this role? And what are you losing from this role, from this behavior? And try to make a list of at least 10 items long on each side. And if you need, this is where you can ask for a friend, colleague, counselor, whoever. Because a lot of times it's hard for me to see my blind spots. Usually it's the gains that are harder to see. The losses, especially if I want to... If you're mentioning that, that means you want to change that, which means you're already experiencing the losses. But a lot of times it's hard to see the gains. And once you map that out, give the numbers. Which one's stronger? 60-40. You Don't say 50-50 or else you're going to be stuck. Which one is actually, when you're honest with yourself, which one is stronger? And assume if, there's, if the gains are stronger than the losses, then you need to observe that for a second and think, reflect. Is this the time now to kind of push on a second-order change or not? Perhaps I'm getting too much right now. I'm too connected to this right now. And it's not my time. And a lot of times I work with individuals. And once we map that out, we realize that there are way too many gains right now in their life for this specific pattern. And to actually shift out of that role or out of that behavior is actually going to be very hurtful. Not only for them, but for the system around them. Back to the numbers. If your losses are greater than your gains, then the next step after that is to see how is this role serving the system? What's the reciprocal role or position that's kind of feeding and enabling me to be in that role? So if I'm a, red, a little red riding hood, there's a big bad, big bad wolf out there. So what is he or she gaining from my role? How is my role serving the system?
Am I giving it a place of compassion so people always feel sorry for me? Or is this a way that they can feel powerful next to me because I don't have that ability? If I'm, li- if I'm little and lost, I'm making people feel really good about themselves because anyone can give me advice. And whoever's giving me advice is very, very smart because I'm just, I'm just a little girl. Or I'm, or I'm a little boy. I don't understand. So please teach me. So here we can see how this role is actually serving the system and making the people around me feel very, very smart. And if I decide to grow up and stop being the little boy and being the man that also knows things, then I'm actually firing the other people from being the masters. So they're going to be stumbling down from heaven, being immortal, and I'm stepping up from being a boy. And that's a second order change. That's a big rupture. There's not going to be any applause there. In fact, what usually happens when you try to do a second order change is that the system tries to pull you back to the previous homeostasis. And how do they do that? Guilt trips, psychosomatic illnesses, threats, insulted dramas. Uh, they'll do anything they can to bring you back to the, what, to the role they knew, to the homeostasis that they knew. Okay. Think about addicts. We send them off to, to clean themselves up in all these retreat centers, but we don't work with the system. Okay. And it's the system. It's the family. It's the colleagues. It's the, even the doctor, the therapist that works with them. They're all the same. You're not changing the system. So even if the addict comes clean, he goes back to the same system. That system needs the addict, needs someone to be, we call it the IP, the identified patient. They need someone to be the problem so they can all be the healthy, the functioning, whatever. And the, the pull is going to be very strong to go back to the old dance. And that's, I think, well, that's a bit sad if, it's, if I'm opening parentheses for a second. Like family therapy or systems therapy has been on the decline since the 80s when an individualistic society. So what's happening is people are trying to manifest change by themselves, individual therapy, individual coaching, individual self-empowerment, but actually they're, they're ignoring the system. And if the system is not going to change, it's going to be very hard to create second-order change by yourself unless you realize that this is going to be a long uphill battle. It's not to say that it's impossible to do the change by yourself, but you need to realize there's a whole system here that's gaining from your specific behavior role pattern that you want to change. So assuming, back to our chart, assuming you have more losses than gains, see how that role is serving the system. And then see, look again at your secondary gains and see, is there any way I can get those gains in a different way? So if I'm going back to Little little Red Riding Hood, is there any way she can feel free and light? Is there any way she can maintain her innocence and not do it through Little Red Riding Hood? Now that's going to require a little bit of creativity and some boldness and some imagination and some potential state like we were speaking in our previous talks. But if that is possible, if I can find ways to satisfy the positive intention of my secondary gains, then there's a bigger chance that I'll be able to withstand the pressure of the system to change and to actually change the whole dance. And I want to give, for conclusion, an example from, from my own life. So traditionally, when we'd go up to see my family, my, my extended family, um, it was always a bit difficult for my wife, who was like, it wasn't comfortable for her, it was far, it was challenging. And for a long time, I was like getting upset and I tried different first order changes, being insulted, getting angry, you know, not speaking, yes, speaking. I was doing all these first order changes and were not efficient. And it took a while till I suddenly realized I'm done. I'm done with this dance. And the next time it happened, I just said, Khalid, I'm not going to. So 
um, she says to me, she does the usual thing. And I told you, I just tried this first order change. Yes, no, stop, angry, insulted, all of that. And then I say, I, it takes a while. And suddenly I reach this realization that I'm done. So I come to her and I say, Galit, I'm going to go up with or without you. You don't have to come. I stepped out of that dance. I wasn't pressuring her to come. I wasn't getting assaulted that she didn't. I let go. And there were no applause, but there was this moment of this quiet stillness. Both of us weren't really sure what was really happening. And that was it. And that dance has changed. Not perfect, not always, but there was an experience of a second order change. And I'm giving this example because a lot of times we have to go through first order changes a few times to see that they don't work. And then it needs to get either bad enough or we have to get this insight or the external reality we're forced into, and then we will do a second order change. And I'll give one more example when the second order change happens around you, just so you know how that feels. I'll give another example. About two, three years ago, um, my wife says to me that I'm not strict enough with the kids. And I was really insulted and I was hurt and I was jabby and I was going through all these ranges of emotions and and she wasn't taking it back. She wasn't apologizing. She didn't take it back. I couldn't believe it. And I got angry and whatever. And it took me a few days. And then she says to me, I got this. She, she actually says, this is a second order change. Don't worry. So it takes me about a week or two. And then I suddenly realized that she was right. She was actually right. And, uh, and I just let that land. And I came up to her about, I think it was a week or two later, and I said, Galit, you're right. So I didn't applaud her the first time. In fact, I felt it was what usually happens when someone is doing a secondary change in manipulation or a test or a jab. But many times, if that person stays steady, if you stay steady, if you really believe and you're serious about secondary change, the system will come around like I did. It took me a while, but at the end, I could applaud her. And looking back, that is, a for me, a beautiful example of her manifesting second-order change in, in our dance as parents. So if there aren't any other questions, I'm going to wrap this up. And I wish all of you a lot of success in creating second-order changes in the, system that you're in, in the systems that you're in. And I'm here to help if you need any help or guidance. Until next time. I'm Dr. Asil Romanelli, and this is The Potential State.